0: Uh, my name is Gio Garces. I serve as the minister here at the Shoreline Church. We are a church that believes in relationships. We're a church that uh, believes that we're citizens and servants of this kingdom. And you might hear the phrase, the kingdom of God. You might hear the phrase, uh, um, the line of Judah, Jesus is the king. And so because he's our king, we are his his people, and he watches over us. And there's a certain dynamic to being a part of the kingdom there's a certain relationship aspect that's part of the kingdom and one of the things that um, when you hear these words these heavenly uh, ideas of the kingdom i want you to remember that god is looking to restore humanity back to him that's what his what's what he is desires and that's what he wants so i'm going to take you back a little bit to how it how God presented this idea of a royal priesthood. You might have heard this word before. If you read your Bible, you might have heard this phrase somewhere in your reading. You're going, what is that? Royal means you're related to the king. Priesthood means that you connect people to God, right? So a lot of churches have been established through this kind of idea, but God designed a royal priesthood. And what that means for you and I, it means that out of the Old Testament, God told the Israelites, this is what I want you to do. I want you to obey me, follow me. I'll look after you. I'll love you. You're you're my prized possession. Uh, I created you out of one man, Abraham. I want you to be with me. And what I also want you to do, I want you to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation so other nations can come to me, so you can help people connect to me. And so there's this Old Testament idea of the Israelites being God's possessions, being his kingdom of priests, and being a holy nation. And, you know, you see these guys dressed up like this. They were a royal priesthood. That is Aaron. I'm not sure it's exactly him, but it's a (laughs) depiction of Aaron as a royal priest in God's temple. And the idea is to live the life that's so different from the nations around them that it attracts the nations to Yahweh. It attracts the nations to the God of Israel. That was the idea. And some of the rules and stipulations were that God had social and moral decrees for his people that were different from the nations around them. And if you want to get a list of that, look in Leviticus chapter 18 this week on your own, and you'll see what the surrounding nations, how they lived like. It was cool to marry your sister. It was cool to marry your mother. It was cool to have these, these, these really illicit relationships with family members. It was encouraged. You know, King Tut's was married to his sister from a long line of incest. So the kingdom of priests were designed to give the people a different standard of living so their life could shine in a dark world. And so in the New Testament, it's called. They call them. We call ourselves, or God calls us, the royal priesthood. So I'm going to give you this this idea, of this oxymoron. An oxymoron is basically the two words that are opposite or contradictory. Like living stone, that's an oxymoron. Like uh, pretty ugly.
1: Act naturally. Civil war. Plastic glasses. Jumbo shrimp.
0: Non-stick glue, reality TV, Microsoft Works, airline food, tight slacks, soft rock. You get the idea? Oxymoron, right? The oxymoron is is Jesus, and Peter writes this letter to these churches in, in modern-day Turkey, and he goes, look, as you have come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, chosen by God, and precious to him, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. There's that idea again. There's that idea of the holy priesthood, people that connect other nations, other people to God. Offering, instead of offering the animal sacrifice, you're offering spiritual sacrifices. Well, what are those? Maybe you're praying for them. Maybe you're sacrificing your time to meditate and be with God and sit at God's feet in silence and listen to God and pray for your friends and pray for your family. Maybe those are the sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus. Where it says, I lay a stone in Zion. This is Peter, the fisherman, the impetuous, volatile, emotional, sanguine Peter. He's quoting the Old Testament. Peter was not only a sanguine, was he emotional, he was actually kind of violent too. He was my kind of guy. Remember he chopped off the ear of Malchus when they tried to arrest Jesus? Right in front of Jesus, this guy's trying to chop someone's head off. There's something about restraining yourself when you know you can hurt someone. And Peter had to grow in that, and he had to learn that. And he does, because when Peter writes this letter, he no longer is just an apostle, he's an elder. He's a different man. And he writes this and he quotes Isaiah because he must be reading Isaiah. He goes, look, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He quotes two different segments of the Old Testament. Peter is not only a fisherman. He is now a learned man who has read his Bible, who has studied his Bible for years, and he's making the connection to the church and showing them that Jesus was a stumbling block to the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire did not want to build on love your neighbor. They did not want to build on, you know, turn the other cheek. They didn't want to build their empire that way. That's not what they want to do here. It's not going to work. Grace and truth is not going to work in the Roman Empire. You don't build an empire with love thy neighbor. So the empire crucifies him. You know, I have this up here because when you were little, you started out with these Duplo blocks. Remember these? Because you weren't sophisticated in your motor skills to use the Legos yet. So your parents gave you these. But if you had an older brother, he had the Legos. He had the little, the smaller ones. And if you try to bring these Duplo blocks to your older brother, guess what he would do to your, to your, to your blocks? Get those out of here. We throw, those don't work. And he would throw them away or throw them across the room. If you're my big brother, he would throw them outside in the backyard. Because those blocks don't go with the more sophisticated Lego blocks. And what Roman Empire was doing was they were rejecting the cornerstone. They were rejecting the most important figure ever to come to earth. Not only uh, did the Roman Empire do that, it was also his own people that did that. The Jewish people that God had sent his own son, to come down. And so there's this, there's this idea that Jesus is his most precious, or the most living stone. If you're going to build anything, he is the cornerstone. If you're going to build any building, it has to have a cornerstone. It's the most important block to any building construction in the ancient days. I'm not sure if it's still, if it's still the same today. According to my friend Sean, who's a builder, It is still pertinent today. This is a very, very precious stone. And Jesus is it. And this is what the communication that Peter is writing to the church. Because when the cornerstone is set, you can build some amazing things. Amazing buildings get put up. And so what this is describing is that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, God is going to build something in you that's amazing, that connects people to him. It'll be this incredible structure that God wants to build in your life, that God wants to do in your life. And so Peter not just quotes that passage later on, but early on in his life, Peter actually quotes, he heals a crippled person and the religious establishment, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're curious and they're angry that he's doing this. And so this is the interaction that Peter has before this religious court called the Sanhedrin. It's a religious body. They didn't have authority to kill you, but they could persuade the Roman government to kill you. And so this was Peter's response to them. He goes, know this, all of you in the Sanhedrin, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you've crucified, but whom God had raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The Sadducees had their temple business. The Pharisees were building their religious resumes. But Peter says, you rejected the most important stone to building a spiritual house. The Roman Empire rejected Jesus. The Jews rejected Jesus. And the ultimate sacrifice was made, unbeknownst to them, into Jesus' mind, it had to happen. Jesus was hoping they would kill him. He wanted his death to come. Now, the apostles didn't understand that, but Jesus knew without my death, you can never build a spiritual house after me. And so, because of that death, because of that resurrection, we now become the living stone. And so, there's this idea when they killed Jesus in the Old Testament this is the idea. In Daniel 7, there's a there's a, uh, a dream that's given to Daniel, and he gets a he gets a very unique glimpse into the spiritual realm, and he writes this down. It's very important for us to understand this because this is why Jesus is the deity in the flesh. This is why we can say without any reservation, salvation is found in no one else. This is why. Because in the old testament, in this vision, that Daniel is given, he writes it down. In my vision, at night, I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man. In the Hebrew, that is a human being, one that looks like us. He's not human in flesh and blood, but he looks like us. He's a human. And he's coming with the clouds of heaven. So he's on these clouds, and he's coming. And look who he approaches. He approaches another figure called the Ancient of Days. So there's a, a human figure, and he approaches someone else called the Ancient of Days. The Trinity is not a New Testament idea. It is an Old Testament idea that the New Testament puts together and calls it Trinitarian. But the idea has always been in the Old Testament. Okay, So you have the Son of Man, some spiritual figure there. You have the Ancient of Days, and he's led into his presence. And the Ancient of Days, if you read, if you read more, he's sitting on his throne. And he, the Son of Man, is given authority, glory, and sovereign power over all the nations and people of every language, and he's worshipped. So there's two deities, there's two powers, there's two godheads in heaven. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. So what happened in the first century was the Christians were saying to the Jews, "That's Jesus," and they're going like, "No, it's not," and they're going. Yes, it is, because he rose from the dead. And there's this interaction that Jesus has with the high priest. Before he's about to get crucified, the high priest Caiaphas goes, tell us who you are. We demand it. And Jesus has not said anything the whole time. He's silent. and Everyone's like, he's not saying anything. And finally, he speaks to Caiaphas. And he says, Caiaphas, you want to know who I am? Next time you see me, I'll be coming in the clouds of heaven with all the angels and my father. And at that moment, Caiaphas tears his cloak. Because knows he's quoting this. is Jesus is saying, I'm that guy. That's who I am. When you're going to kill me, you're going to kill this guy. And that's why Caiaphas tears his cloak. That's why he's so enraged. Because he knows there's only one figure that comes in the cloud of heaven, and that's the Son of Man. Powerful passage. Powerful. Another oxymoron is a discarded deity. They threw him away. He was rejected by humans. The Roman Empire rejected you. And so did his own Israelites. They rejected him. But God, through his wisdom, he collects followers of Jesus. And Paul even says, look, guys, they humble because not many of you were wise by human standards. And not many of you were influential or of noble birth. You know, if you get prideful as a Christian, this is a good passage to reflect on. A good passage keeps you humble. In God's wisdom, he collected. The world's unwise, the world's rejected people, people that are unwanted. You know, the church is a hospital for damaged souls. You know, we come to church because there's something that affected us that profoundly has may have ruined us, and we have no answers. We try to find answers elsewhere by buying things, owning things, money. We try all kinds of things to kind of figure out how to fix what's wrong with us. And the only thing that can really, really generate true, honest, relational, maturity, spirituality is being in a relationship with God. And God wants those people to come to him. And that's who came in the Roman Empire. Later on, all the dignitaries became Christians because Roman, the Roman uh, uh, Empire made Christianity illegal. And then it got more corrupted. Before it was legal, it was basically the the less influential people who are becoming disciples. Once in a while, you get a high figure in someone's heritage household. You get this guy, you know, governor's becoming. But for the most part, the the, the Corinthian church, who are very prideful, God goes, hey, guys, you you weren't really much. And so there's this idea that Peter writes this letter to. To the persecuted disciples in the province of Asia. They're being persecuted. This is the church. They're foreigners and they're exiled. They got pushed out of their their homeland, and now they're outside in this, in this area in modern Turkey. And Peter's writing to them. He's writing to some of them who are slaves. He's writing to some women who have, who have husbands that aren't, aren't believers. They're not Christians. They don't want to believe. And so there's instructions for them. And so Peter's trying to minister to this church. And, and it's important because Peter is trying to communicate this idea that you're loved, that you're, that you're worthy of God's love. Now, if you' if you're a parent, and, and if you're not a parent, please forgive me of for this analogy, but one day if you're a parent, you're going to have kids, and your kids are going to be awesome and annoying at the same time, right? But we never lose our love for them. It's almost like it's, it's the hardest thing to do is not to love your kid. Now, they may not clean up after themselves. Their room may be constantly dirty, and they don't clean up the dishes, and the kitchen's a mess. That's going to be part of the job, right, of training, but... My love for them is so profound, right? If you're a parent, you love your creation. You love your kids. And that's what God's message is to humanity. He goes, look, at, I made you. You're mine. You're my treasured possession. I want to be in a relationship with you. And I'm going to make you followers of Jesus. I'm going to make you into a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And there's going to be certain things that you have to live by to be followers of Jesus. It's not just believing and believing and live how you want. There are many churches that just say, praise Jesus and then live like you want. That's not royal priesthood. And I'm not saying don't be perfect, like don't be high and mighty. Well, I'm, no, no, I'm not saying that either. What we're saying is there's a, there's a serious attempt to live by the teachings of Jesus. Is it perfection? No, but you're perfect in God's eyes. Are you striving to grow? Yes, that's the goal. So there's this idea in the Old Testament, this royal priesthood. In Genesis chapter 10, there is a list that you probably never even read this chapter. You probably skip over it like, like everybody else. But there's 70 nations on this list. And you're like, what's that about? When the Tower of Babel occurred, all humanity was one. And then God separated them by confusing their language. So they called it Babel, right? I couldn't understand each other. And from that from that incident, they they created this cigarette, this this tower that could reach the heavens. And in the ancient days, this part was the gateway from the earthly realm to the spiritual realm. This is where God and man met. That's why these ziggurats were so important. But they built built one just to say, God, We want you at our disposal whenever we want you to come down. And God goes, we're not doing that. So God goes, I'm going to remove myself from these nations, 70 of them, and I'm gonna start over. And I'm gonna pick one man and I'm gonna make a nation. And his name is Father Abraham, had many sons. That's why we sing that song because at this moment in history, God starts a new nation with Abraham. And the question is, What about these other nations? Who's watching those guys? And this is the origin story for the powers of darkness. This is where the powers of darkness begins because God gives the other nations governors for all of their nations. 70 governors, spiritual beings that oversee the humans that are now separated from God. And God's people are to be the royal priesthood and help those nations come back to him. That's why when Jesus started talking about Jews and Gentiles, they're like, what'd you say, Willis? They're like, wait a minute, don't talk like that. We don't want all nations, but God's always intent was to bring back those nations. That's why Pentecost, Jews came from every nation because God wanted them back. Because even though they were rebellious, God wanted to restore himself to them if they were willing. So this is, that's where the idea of this royal priesthood comes from that's where the idea of the powers of darkness when paul writes in ephesians 6 there's a spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly realms those governors rebel against god and they take humanity and they take them for themselves and they say i'm god now and now god and his governors are in this battle paul calls them the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms now you know something you probably didn't know i'm glad you know that because there are forces working against your priesthood. There are forces working against you and your humanity. So here's Peter writing to the, to the, to the, uh, the, uh, the disciples in the, the province of Asia, modern-day Turkey. As you have come to him, this living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like a living stone, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, Offering sacrifices acceptable to God, Jesus Christ. Maybe it looks something like this. Maybe it's just a Bible study. Maybe you're going to ask your friend who's in your life, hey, you want to read the Bible together? Maybe it looks like that. Spiritual sacrifice. Spending some time praying together, learning God's word. It's an awesome time. You know, when, when you read your Bible, it does something to how you think. If you allow the Bible to change how you think and process, change truly happens. And Paul writes this: Hey, guys, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as living sacrifice. That's another oxymoron. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. What God is trying to get us to understand, he wants you to change the way you think. Don't conform to what the world is like. And our world is changing so fast and furious. It's going to even increase with AI. It's going to even get more difficult. But God's like, hey, look, keep your bearings. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And how you get renewal is meditation, prayer, reading your Bible, getting some fellowship. God makes it very simple for us to keep being transformed. Because our world is changing radically. It's a different world than it was 10 years ago. Even the 1980s, the best generation I've ever. Been. And he writes this to these rejected, outcasts, followers of Jesus in the province of Asia. He writes this to them. You are a
1: chosen. You're a royal. A holy nation. Right out of Exodus 19.
0: God's special possession. Quoting. That you may declare the praises of him. Who called you out of darkness. Into his light. His wonderful light. Once you were not a people. But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy. But now you have received mercy. Have you ever felt like you didn't belong somewhere? In God's house, everyone can belong. He wants everybody. Some of you might might have grown up, hey, the black sheep of the family, that's okay. In God's house, you're good. God wants everyone, all nations. When Jesus sends out his disciples in groups of uh, two by two, 70, he sends out the 70. You may not realize this. But Jesus does that number on purpose. Sometimes it says 72 because they're taking two nations and fighting it. But it's 70. Those are the exact nations in Genesis 10. Because Jesus goes, I want all the nations. And I'm here to remind you
1: that I just didn't come for the Israelites. I came for everything. Everything. That is God.
0: And we have a collection of these royal priests. We have these relationships with each other. Now, here's something I want you to think about. I want you to think about, if you want to jot this down, that's fine, too. Write down the people that God is putting in your life. Not just the ones you like. There are people in your life that God has put around you. He's done it on purpose. Now, he gave me two. I have have, have Jules and Jaden. He gave me those. They're they're in my world, right? So I have them down. Then I have others down. Like, God puts people in my pathway, and I write that down. And I, and I think about that. Sometimes I want to ignore them, but I shouldn't because God is trying to get me to think about them because God's trying to put them there. He's like, Here, Gio, I want you to focus on this. There's this person, right? and I don't like that person Well, you, and you love them. Right? We don't have the same interests. Right? God's putting people in your world. He does it supernaturally, and he wants us to be... A priesthood that connects them to God. And, it, and you know how you do it? Through relationship. Through friendship. When you become someone's friend, they, they're open to opening to hear your values. When you just come with truth, it's annoying. Some people are like, yeah, I love the truth, but not many. I've tried it to hundreds of people. And very few go, yeah, the truth, I embrace it. You know? Most that I have an impact on, I just do it through friendship. And over friendship, and over time, and coffee, and pizza, and whatever, I'm able to connect them to God. Because they they see that I truly am caring about them. Like, I care about them. I love doing that. And I think we should consider doing that as a church. Loving people through relationships. And God's already done it for you. He's already set you up with people. In your neighborhood, in your whatever life, that your stage you're in, there are people there. God wants you to engage in. And this, we want to be the people that introduce them to mercy, light, and a relationship with God. Let's meditate on this as we take communion. Uh, if, you don't have a, if you don't have a little portable, uh, one, of the, one of the ushers will go ahead and raise your hand. If you don't have one, we'll get one to you. We're going to take a moment here to, to take a prayer, and then we're going to meditate, and then we're going to have a song. To help up with our meditation, let's pray together. God, thank you so much for the living stone, uh, the discarded deity, the royal priesthood. God, that you have you have called us out of darkness into your light to be the connecting vessels that help you reach humanity. Thank you for considering us. Thank you for making us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for uh, enduring our lives together, God. We so much appreciate. How you're working and what you're doing, and we just want to be the vessel. We want to be the priesthood. We want to be uh, the people that uh, are helping our fellow man uh, stay connected. To help us to uh, put our foot forward in relationships and time with uh, those around us, we may uh, give you all the glory. God, pray.
1: Uh, this TV, I know, I, I noticed when I was sitting down, it looks a little like off. Is that better. Yeah, it's more off now. Is it more off than ever? If I tilt it this way, is it
0: much? This way? All right. Is that good? I noticed I said, wow, I think it looks, is it me? I know I didn't have much coffee this morning, but I couldn't be that bad. So this is a part of our contribution, and, and I, I, I love, I'm reading this book, and you're reading it along with me. It's called uh, The Act of Grace of Giving, um, and I, I told you, if you haven't read a book this year, this is, we're going to do this until we finish the book, a great book. And Jesus tells this Israelites who have replaced their, their gods because they were worshiping other gods, the powers of darkness, they were worshiping those guys along with Yahweh, and that's what really offended God. They were worshiping his create, created angels, for lack of a better word. He was, they were worshiping those people. As soon as they took those away and they, and they discarded them, they made self-security their God, financial gain their God. So Jesus, that's why he has all this money talk with the, with the Israelites, if you see Jesus, he talks more about money than he does faith because this had become their new God. You know, security, future, future everything they wanted was just to keep so they can lay up treasures for themselves on earth. And Jesus goes, no, no, it's the opposite. You want to lay up treasures in heaven. And how you do that, Jesus says, is he commands his followers not to lay up treasures on earth, but to invest them in the newly arrived kingdom of God. It has been well said that, that we cannot take our treasure with us, but we can send it ahead, and we store up our treasures in the heavenly kingdom by giving them to the advance the kingdom of on earth. We do this by obeying Jesus' rule and dedicating our time, our talents, treasure to assist the needy, to publish the good news, and to love our neighbor. Whether or not People invest in such a wise way. is not a matter of intelligence, but one of wisdom and one of love. If someone's heart and therefore treasure is in this age, this world, he or she will not send it ahead to the next. It'll be lost forever, and the person will end as a fool. Yet if someone's treasure and therefore the love of his and her heart is not in this current earthly economy, but in the work of the future kingdom, he or she will invest there gaining everlasting security and an extravagant rate of return when the kingdom becomes visible and fulfilled. and Jesus gives us a very elementary choice. Our hearts will be located where our treasure is located. So he makes that simple connection. If our treasure is not in heaven, our hearts will not be there. We will not have loved God with all of our hearts and that is unlocking this idea that jesus tries to instill in us is the power of generosity it is the power of giving and advancing god's kingdom and i say that not just so you can give online that's awesome okay but i say that because we have a special missions coming up and this is our Geographic area where we have supported these churches over the years, decades, I would say. Estonia is now self supporting. They have enough disciples there to support their own ministry staff. Not so with Latvia and Lithuania, Norway, Sweden, Finland, and Denmark. We had a conference together. And if you notice, these countries, they live near each other, but they don't do anything together because these countries' second language was Russian and their second language is English. And so for many years, They couldn't do anything together. They had kids the same age, and it just was not a very good communication uh, uh, situation. So fast forward to this, you know, many years ago, fast forward to a few months ago, we had a conference together, and all the church leaders came, and I went to that conference. And my job was to help link these relationships together, and the common language now, the second language in these Baltic countries is now English. They're learning it in school. People are learning English, and now we're able to connect all these nations together. And next year in 2024, there's going to be a Baltic-Nordic conference for all the disciples to come together for the first time in over 20 years. That is exciting. you download this app called All Nations, All Nations app, it has has so many things on there about special missions. But one thing I want to highlight for parents or for, for anyone who's interested is they have like little tools. They have little Bible studies, teen character studies. Each, each church puts out their own little ways of making disciples. There's all kinds of resources on there. Awesome stuff. Special missions. We do this every year. 7.5% of our, our, our contributions and donations to this will go to the Ukrainians. They obviously fled their country. They're, they're in Latvia. They're in Estonia. And they're in Stockholm. And they're in Norway. We've been, we have a fund for them to support them because their husbands and sons are in Ukraine and they cannot come. They're stuck there. They cannot leave. It is illegal for them to leave. Some of them have been smuggled out but for the most part they're stuck there. So these women are in these foreign countries but with no support. So the church came and heard the call and we've done it not just us but 14 other churches have uh, alongside of us have helped. 7.5 we want to make the platform on that thing right there there's there's about 15 people watching online we want to make that platform awesome we need some funds to make that awesome because it's going to it's a new reality pajama sundays is real guys pajama sundays is real some people may take advantage of that but there's people that just physically can't come they're sick they're not well hey and they just want to take a sunday off fine love yourself get online we want to make that experience awesome okay no judgment there guys no judgment saying if i was not the minister i'd be there a couple times right i'd do that too 15%, we plant churches throughout the Southwest of, America, of the United States. We've planted Reno, planted San Luis Obispo, we've planted Santa Barbara, which I'm going to speak there at 4 o'clock today, and we're planting Merced, California. But we have brothers who go out on the mission field and we support them and they start planting churches. Um, this planting is in its second year, they've already grown uh, from five disciples to 10 disciples. So it's awesome. It's, 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 it's going to be an amazing planting there. 30% goes to our stronghold here because we're still under budget. We're not, we haven't made our budget. Our financial team wants us to make sure that we not only are great givers, but we're taking care of, of the home castle too. Uh, 40% will go to the Baltic Nordic Mission Alliance. And lastly, I want to show you, uh, Savannah Binek has made for us a, a little video for us And I want to show you the video. We can dim the lights a little bit. I will show this video. It's the conference that Karen and I attended a few months ago uh, in Estonia, in Tallinn. And all the leaders from the the countries were there to
1: unite and get together and think about how we can be closer. Here we go. Bocan, yeah. Estonia, Latvia. Yeah. Yeah. Danish Swedish Finnish Americans, <laughs> London, <laughs> Lithuania. <laughs> Well region. in fin- Finnish language. <laughs> Also sang a little song in Russian, too. <laughs> <laughs> they're
0: very happy people there um and it was an an amazing time and i just wanted to put this before you guys because um you know generosity is what uh want to invest in kingdom and invested in the swedish churches for many years and they're self-supporting too and they have an american there a young couple who left the united states to go serve there they learned swedish and they're the church people there now so they just had their first uh baby dual citizen um and we're sending a few of our students here this summer to some of these um countries Lib went last year to finland a few more that i know want to come so we, we it's open, and I invite anyone who wants to go to these countries to stay for a, a week to get to know the church there. They will put you up in their houses. These are the kind of people, I would never do this. I would never give you my bedroom. I put you usually on the couch or a spare bedroom. They give you their bedroom. I always say no. I say, no, I'm not doing it this year. They're like, sorry, I already set up for you. They give you their own bedroom. It's crazy, and they sleep with the kids in their room. It's just a different kingdom mentality, and I was so convicted by it. So like. I gotta be more loving, right? So, if you want to go, there's a couple. Save you costs on hotels. All you need is your airline, and they usually just feed you good when you're there. So they love the fellowship. So if you're interested in going, please let Karen and I know. We can connect you with disciples there. We've been a week there, either in Finland, Sweden, Norway, Estonia, Latvia, or Lithuania. We will definitely. We'd love for you guys to encourage churches. They would love to have you.